Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. And I just got to tell you, these uh, mercy drops round us that are falling are a perfect backdrop for the two gates that we're going to look at this morning. They're the fountain gate and the water gate. So you've heard of places where you go for a program or a theater and they've wired the seating so that when you see the water on the screen, you can feel water drops and tingling. And uh, the Lord, he does a better job than man, doesn't he? So uh, he brings out just what we need to remind us that we do need the water of our lives. And it comes at the fountain gate. And also we need to drink in the word of God that comes at the water gate. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll notice, first of all, in verse 15, and then in verse 26, these two gates that are mentioned. Nehemiah 3, verse 15 says, Shalon, the son of Colhosi, leader of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it. Thank the Lord for the nice covering here. Covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the walls of the pool of Sheila by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And then also verse 26. Verse 26 says, Moreover, the Nethanim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate toward the east and on the projecting tower. And we trust that the Lord will add his best blessing to the things we've read as we look at these two gates. Let's pray once more together. Our blessed Father, as we bow in your presence, we ask if it's your will that you would restrain the rain. But just remind us, Father, from the wonder of your word that you are the one who refreshes our souls by the fountain of living waters through your spirit who has been given and also by the wonder of your word that washes us and also fills our hearts that we might not be thirsty, but thirst only after righteousness and be filled and our thirst be quenched by the wonder of your word, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the most wonderful portions of the word of God, I believe, is the gospel of John chapter 4. In fact, if you go through the gospel of John, you can find water in almost every chapter of John's wonderful gospel. But when you come to John chapter 4, you, you see the Lord there in Samaria sitting by a well about the sixth hour, that's noontime, the heat of the day, when a woman comes to draw water there at that well. Perfect common ground. If you want to find out how to witness, witness like the Lord Jesus. There he asked the woman who comes to draw water, give me a drink. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me, a Samaritan, a drink? He said, if you knew who it, was, or who it was that asked you for a drink, and if you knew the gift of God, you would ask me, and I would give you living waters, and here's what he said, that would become in you a fountain of living waters springing up unto eternal life. It wasn't long after that that she changed the subject. She said, our fathers worship on this mountain. You people, you Jews, you say at Jerusalem is where to worship. Should it be at Jerusalem or Gerizim? He said, woman, I tell you, an hour is coming and now is when those who worship the Father must worship in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
We come to the fountain gate, and it represents to us, having gone through the sheep gate for salvation, the fish gate for our witness to evangelize others, the old gate to get a good solid foundation, the valley gate, where as we learned yesterday, there are a lot of ups and downs in life. Thankfully, the last one's up. We get through the ups and downs at the valley gate, and then we come to the refuse gate, and we say, Lord, there's so much sin, I confess it, and I get rid of it there at the garbage dump. And now that I'm empty, I've got to be filled. And so the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, Paul writes to the believers at Ephesus. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be controlled continually be being filled with the Spirit. I spoke with a man driving a bus here just yesterday. We had some good opportunities to witness, just like I know you're finding some good opportunities. He told me, he said, I, I translated a book by a radical theologian, and he said, I'm anti-Trinitarian. And uh, then he told me some other things that were even more confusing. But, you know, you don't let those things throw you off. But isn't it nice that we know that the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Christ in bodily form? And that while we recognize in the Godhead the three persons, though we cannot understand, much less explain, we can enjoy God in His fullness. God the Father is for us. God the Son, Emmanuel, is with us. God the Spirit wonder of all wonders, is in us. That heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, yet he lives within my heart. That the Lord Jesus said, as he spoke with his disciples before departing to go back to be with the Father, he said, I won't leave you as orphans, but it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, I will ask of the Father and he will send you the Spirit who will be with you and, don't, catch, don't miss the next part, in you. Can you imagine that? That the life of God, as the Lord Jesus said, the Father and I will come to you and will set up our abode in you to be in you and to actually dwell in you. Now, it's not just that the Spirit of God lives within us, but we want him to be right at home in us. I've been to places before when I went to visit people and they took me into the formal living room. And you feel so awkward and stiff. You almost feel dirty that you can't put your feet on the floor and you can't just relax on the couch. You certainly can't kick your shoes off and tuck your feet up where you're comfy and lean over anywhere. When the Spirit of God comes to live within us, we don't treat Him in a formal way like a house guest. No, he comes in and he makes himself right at home. When I studied French over in Switzerland, uh, the expression is, Fête comme chez vous. Make yourself at home. And my host used to always add a little phrase to that greeting, make yourself at home. He would also add, but never forget that it's my home. <laughs> and so uh, we had a great time together. And sometimes that's the way we try to treat the Holy Spirit. We know he comes and he sets up his abode in us and he lives in us. 
but we don't let them have control. Oh, no, no. Uh, This is very God, a very God coming to live within us, and we want to give him the reins to take full control. The fountain gate represents just that, the Spirit of God living in us as that fountain springing up unto eternal life to help us know the fullness of what God has placed within our hearts. Empty at the refuse gate and filled at the fountain gate. That's the key. Now, if you will, in your Bible, turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. I want to take you for this little series on being filled with the Spirit at the fountain gate to the most Spirit-centered chapter in our Bible. And it's Romans chapter 8. Now, I say it's Spirit-centered because you have the Spirit mentioned more there than any place else and in a full way of what the Spirit does for the Spirit-filled believer. Now, this chapter we're going to look at in the next uh, about 12 to 15 minutes really should be a whole series. It, it might be the series in a couple of years. We'll see. But it's, it follows. Now, this is not a profound statement, but you might want to write it down. Romans 8 follows Romans 7. <laughs> Isn't that great? I had friends that used to tell me, you can't get to Romans 8 until you go through Romans 7. I said, I'm so glad I didn't know that because I read Romans 8 before I read Romans 7. Romans 7 is the most self-centered chapter in the whole Bible, except for maybe a chapter in the book of Job. Romans 7 uses I, me, or my. It's completely self-centered 40 times in Romans 7. When you come to Romans 8, I think it's only like three times do you even see a personal pronoun for I or me or my. But rather, the Spirit is center stage. Nineteen times the Spirit of God is mentioned in Romans chapter 8. So this is the Spirit-centered chapter for the Spirit-filled believer. That we're to be filled with the Spirit. What do we do as believers who are filled with the Spirit? There are seven things in Romans chapter 8 I want to give with you, give to you and share with you while we have this time on the Spirit-filled believer at the fountain gate. The first thing that we're to do as Spirit-filled believers, according to Romans chapter 8, is found, if you'll notice it, in verse 4. But I'm going to start in verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now therefore no, or there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The first thing in Romans chapter 8 for the Spirit-filled believer that goes through the fountain gate is that we're to walk in the Spirit. What does it accomplish to walk in the Spirit, to be in step with the Spirit of God? Well, He works in us to fulfill the requirement of God and of the law in us, which we could not do in and of ourselves. You know, all the gates that we've been through already, we recognize a lot of things about ourselves that we need to know. But it's as if when you come through the fountain gate, God says, now that's far enough. 
don't go any further on your own. From here on out, you're going to have to trust me. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We allow Him to take over. The walk that we tried to walk, we fell and faltered at every step. Now, He says, let me show you how to walk in the Spirit. That's not easy spirit, by the way. The tennis shoes that are out. But it's walking in the Spirit. In step with the Spirit. You notice what he mentioned about the law. What the flesh could not do. What the law could not do. In us. Because of the flesh and the weakness of the flesh. God did it. Do you remember when God gave the law through Moses? Before man even received the law. We broke it. And Moses threw down the two tablets of stone that God had written the law, those Ten Commandments, and they were broken. So God said, Moses, come back up on the mountain. We're going to write another set. (laughs) And he wrote another set of the law. And it's as if God said, now, when I gave you the law, you broke it. I'm going to keep this one. Do you remember what he did with the second set of the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments? He put them into the Ark of the Covenant. What does that Ark represent? Well, the ark represents Christ, the very center of the tabernacle, the very place where we meet at the mercy seat. And in that ark, Aaron's rod that budded, a little pot of manna, manna became man, Christ, and the two tablets of stone, God kept the Ten Commandments for us. Where? In the person of his son. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law, the Lord Jesus said. I've not come to destroy it, but to what? Fulfill it. And he fulfilled the law in every way. Now the spirit who has been given to us. He fulfills the law because we've put our trust in the one who kept the law for us. You can't keep it. I couldn't keep it either. But the Lord Jesus kept it perfectly. Not one jot, not one tittle passes away from the law. All was fulfilled in Christ. When we walk in the spirit, he starts working in us. The fulfillment of righteousness that we could not do on ourselves. Isn't that something? How do you do it? Well, you can't. (laughs) How does he do it? Only by his power, by his spirit. We're to walk in the spirit. Secondly, you'll notice right down in the next few verses of Romans chapter 8. Look specifically at verse 5, if you will. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We not only only should walk in the Spirit, but we should live in the Spirit. Are you living life? Are you just enduring life? If we live in the flesh, it's death. If we live in the Spirit, it's life. The Lord Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. Life! And have it, how? More abundantly. Are you living it? It's the spirit of life who overcomes the spirit of the law and of death. I love to see the birds all around. The crows drive me crazy. Maybe they do you. But isn't it amazing to watch the birds just fly and in flight? Do you know what they've done? They've overcome the law of gravity. And they're able to break away from the law of gravity because of a superior law of thermodynamics. And as they make their way up 
out of the law and the bounds of gravity, they can fly above. You and I, who were dead in our trespasses and sins, have now been made alive through Christ when He quickened us and raised us from the dead, just as He raised Christ from the dead. Now He gives us the spirit of life who overwhelms the spirit of law and of death, and we fly out of the bonds that helped us, held us all of our lifetime subject to the fear of death, and we overcome death, and we live in the Spirit. Are you living in the Spirit? <laughs> if you're not, why not? He's given us the Spirit of life, and we're to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. Thirdly, I hate to go so fast, but in verse 9 he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. We're indwelt by the Spirit. And as I was mentioning, we want to be right at home. The Spirit has been given to us to give us the indwelling or the seal of the Spirit. He's our surety. We know that we're saved because God has given us his Spirit. Not only that, we're sealed in the Spirit. We better get through this fountain gate quick, hadn't we? (laughs) He has sealed us with the Spirit. We're not to grieve Him. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, by which you were sealed unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, After that you heard the word of truth, you were sealed by that Spirit of promise who is our guarantee the earnest or the down payment of our redemption till the redemption of our body. And so we have been indwelt by the Spirit. There's no room for anyone else, just the Spirit of God. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. First John chapter 4, verse 4. It's the 44 of the Christian. We are safe and secure because the Spirit of God has indwelled us. Now we belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for time alone, but for eternity. I'm running under my umbrella. You know, the last thing you'd want to be is a dry preacher, right? You also don't want to be all wet either, do you? And so uh, look, if you will, in verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, verse 14 tells us we're not only walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, but we're to walk in the Spirit. The last thing I want you to think of being being led or walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, is it something mystical or magical. It is not mystical or magical to be led by the Spirit. It's not where you go or where you live, but it's how you go and how you live to be led by the Spirit. Now, keep it in mind, to be led by the Spirit of God is that we're no longer under obligation. That's what we have in these few verses uh, right there, verses 11 through 14, and I think into 15 and 16. But we're to be led by the Spirit. We're no longer under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But now we're free to live according to the Spirit because He leads us along. We're following Him home to glory. We're following him in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I I love Romans 8 that it starts with no condemnation, don't you? And that it ends with no separation. Now, while it starts with no condemnation and ends with no separation, in the middle of Romans 8, 
there in verse 14, 15, we're under no obligation to the flesh. We don't have to do what we used to do. Now we've been set free from it. Where we were in the flesh before, we had no choice in the matter. I mean, why does a dog bark? Because he's a dog. Why do we sin? Well, because we're sinners. Now we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So we're no longer under obligation. We've died to sin. And now we're alive in Christ under no obligation to the flesh. We're led by the Spirit. You know, we live in a mystical world. Everybody wants to make things mystical. But being led by the Spirit is very practical. How did the Lord walk? That's the way the Spirit's going to guide us. We walk. Again, it's not where we live and where we go, but it's how we live and how we go. That's how you know if you're led by the Spirit. I stopped at McDonald's one Sunday morning on the way to a meeting, and it was crowded in the city. And at that McDonald's, you know, the only thing about fast food is how fast you have to eat it. It's not how fast you get it. Okay? And so I just wanted a cup of coffee, and I asked the young lady, I said, uh, I'd like to have a receipt. She said, oh, does your boss pay for your coffee? I said, yes, as a matter of fact, he does. He's a great boss. <laughs> and, uh, and so I had a gospel track ready, and I said, I want to tell you about my boss. He's the best of masters. And she read it. Her eyes brightened up, and she said, oh, she said, you're a Christian. I said, yes, I am. She said, are you spirit-filled? I said, yes, I, I try to stay filled with the spirit. And I said, I'd like to say I am always, but yes, I'm spirit-filled. And she said, no, I mean, I mean, are you spirit-led? I said, well, yes, I, I try to follow the ways of God. As it, and she said, no, I mean, she said, do you speak in tongues? Well, we were home on furlough from Africa. I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I use Swahili. <laughs> and uh, she said, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, I knew what she was talking about. And you know what she was talking about. Everybody wants to make it mystical and magical. Don't make it mystical and magical. It's, it's wonderful that the Spirit of God can lead us. But he leads us in a practical way that we're not doing something that that is out of this realm. But God has come from out of this realm to live within our realm, to live within our hearts, to lead us to live a life that honors him. We're led by the spirit of God. We're no longer under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And then look in verses 15 through 17, specifically verse 15 that I'll read, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We are walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and we're born of the Spirit. Let me just quote the hymn. Born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's blood. Oh, what a standing is mine. Do you know that we're children of God? Sons of God. Heirs of God. We are indeed sons of God, born of the Spirit, and His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. And so we see there in verse 15 that we're born of the Spirit. He bears witness with our spirit. Again, don't make this mystical and magical. How's he going to bear witness with our spirit? Well, First John tells us there are three that bear witness. In heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. 
There are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. Based on the Word of God, that's the way that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We read what God said. We believe it in our heart. I'm saved by what Christ has done on the cross. I'm sure by what God has written in the book. That's how the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. I talked, I talked one time and there was a, a lady visiting and she said, when you spoke, I could feel the hair stand up on my back. I said, whoa. <laughs> I, I, said, I said, that's not what I meant to, uh, to project at all. I said, I said, you know, there are a lot of feelings, thrills and chills, but that's all flesh stuff. I can feel when I was walking into the campground in the dark the other night and I saw something move. I felt the hair stand up on my back, too, but it wasn't the Lord. I thought it was a bear, but it turned out to be a squirrel. I want to tell you, we're not looking for frills and thrills when it comes to say that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We're looking for the reality. Show it to me in black and white. Give it to me in the word. I believe it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. In fact, you can shorten that three phrase down to two. God said it. That settles it. <laughs> but aren't you glad that you can come into the good of it and know that the spirit of God has given us the word of God so that we know that we're sons of God, children of God. To those who believe in his name, he's given us that right. And heirs of God. Now, you think it's good now. The best is yet to come. That we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Everything that God has bestowed upon his son. Are you ready for this? Is yours and mine. It's reserved. The apostle Peter said in heaven. And if I just stopped right there, you'd say, wow, it must be a lot for you. You mean that's all mine? Absolutely, that God has given everything to us in his son, and one day he's going to share all of it with us. And that's an inheritance that fades not away. It's ours forever. I don't know how much you've got stored up in your inheritance, but eventually you're going to run out. That's the you know, that's the real problem with with financial planning these days. You can't start taking it in because you might use it up and run out of it before you run out. I want to tell you, the inheritance that we're going home to inherit is not going to ever end. We're sons and daughters, we're children, and we're heirs of God. And his spirit bears witness with our spirit. And then, number six, we're not only walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, and dwelt by the spirit, led by the spirit, born of the spirit. But look in verses 23 and 24. Now, this section actually begins in verse 18, but we just go to 23, and it deals with our hope in the Spirit. Verse 23 says, as it's speaking of the creation being redeemed and also us being redeemed, in verse 23 it says, and not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Verse 25, 
But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. It's speaking of the hope, the glorious hope of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, we have a wonderful hope. It's a joyful hope that we have in Christ that everything that God has planned is a definite expectation of glory for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the world hopes so, but not us. We hope for. Literally, the word means it's a definite expectation of glory. It's something that we can count on, not just think maybe so, guess so, hope so, think so. This is a no-so salvation that we have, and our hope is firm. Time and time again, you'll read in those few verses from verse 18 all the way through verse 25 that there's an earnest expectation for which we eagerly wait. (laughs) The idea is that we're in tiptoe expectancy. Now, some of you have met my little puppy, Gigi. Uh, We wanted to make sure we could get a puppy that we could pick up. And she weighs at top weight seven pounds, but usually six and a half. And uh, she's a poodle, but we don't have her a foo-foo poodle kind of cut. We have her looking like a scruffy, kind of a gangster cut. huh? And uh, so we're training her. She's not two years old yet, but she's made it across the country. This is her second big trip. She's traveled over 20,000 miles, and so she's learning a lot. Uh, I give her a treat whenever we come to meetings. She wakes up on Sunday morning and she knows something's different. I think it's the clothes that I wear. And she gets this moping kind of attitude until we're ready to go out the door. And then I open a special bag, Ziploc, with sweet yams in it for puppies. It's just a puppy treat. But she knows what yam sounds like. She knows what the bag sounds like. In fact, I opened a bag of croutons and she started spinning around. I said, no, this is not yams. This is croutons. They have a 200-word vocabulary, these scruffy poodles. And whenever I open the bag of yams before a meeting like this morning, she all of a sudden goes off of all fours moping around, and she goes up on her hind legs. She can stand up all day, and it's on her tiptoes. And when I'm opening the bag, she's standing up, walking around. I mean, she's only six and a half pounds, but she's about 26 inches tall when she's on all on her top toes, tiptoes. And she walks around on her tiptoes for about five minutes while I'm opening the bag and waiting for Nancy to say, I'm on my way out the door. And when I hand her the yam, she not only is on her back legs, but she starts spinning around in ballerina form. That's the way we should be. If we could only realize what God has in store for us, The whole creation is waiting to see for the revelation of the sons of glory who we are. And here we are as believers. Won't they be amazed when they see us that day? I mean, their eyes are going to bug out. Their mouths are going to be wide open. You mean these are the sons and daughters of God? And for us as believers, that hope should so fill us that it should cause us to eagerly wait with great anticipation The hope to be realized. There are three that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith will give way to sight that day when we see his face. Hope will give way to glory when it's fully realized. 
and love. Faith, hope, and love? The greatest of these is love. For while faith will give way to sight and hope will give way to glory, love won't give way. It only gives in to all that God has prepared for us. Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Don't stop there on that verse. Paul goes on to say, But the things have been revealed to us. How? By the Spirit of God through Christ Jesus. Think of it. We hope in the Spirit. And the Spirit of God keeps generating in our hearts. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Paul writes right there in that same chapter in Romans chapter 8. He said, For the things that are here that we suffer right now are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall follow and be revealed in Christ. Right now, our momentary light affliction or our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that's our hope. Are you hoping in the spirit? Remember, the world hopes so. The believer hopes for. I can't wait. Can you? For the hope to be fully realized and turned into glory. Lastly, you'll notice in verses 26 through 28. And this is going to be the last. We're not going to get to the water. Uh, Maybe we'll have a downpour tomorrow morning for the water gate. Uh, This is just the fountain gate. But in verse 26, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Look in verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I'll pause right there for just a moment. We not only walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, are indwelt by the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, born of the Spirit, hope in the Spirit, but we also pray in the Spirit. How do we pray in the Spirit? Well, that very first word of verse 26 is the word likewise. Whenever you have a word likewise, you've got to figure out what's it connecting here. I'll tell you what it's connecting very briefly. We won't try to expand it too much. But it's connecting the fact that the creation groans waiting for its redemption. When you hear of an earthquake, a volcano, of things out of control, tornadoes, it's the groaning of this creation. Now, in a fallen state, it's beautiful, but in a fallen state, it's also dangerous. It's groaning. It's out of control. It's waiting to be redeemed, the creation itself. Death is around us even amidst all this beauty. Trees die. Animals die. Everything is passing away. It's groaning. Even we ourselves, Romans 8 tells us, we groan. Can I hear a groan? (laughs) I tell you what, the groans increase as the age increases. It's just, if you don't groan right now, you're, you're too young to groan. It's just a matter of time. When you get up in the morning and you feel it, you groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption of our body, just like the creation waits. Likewise, also the spirit. What does he do? He groans. Now, if I looked at Abraham's prayer, I would hear his groan when he said, all that Ishmael would walk before the Lord. 
and Job, oh, that I had died before I had been born. And Jacob, oh, all these things are against me. And Jonah, oh, Lord God, is this not what I said while I was still, uh, before going to Nineveh, while I was still in the land? We hear groanings throughout the scriptures of men of prayer. How does the Spirit groan? What does it sound like? Let me tell you how the Spirit sounds when he groans. You ready? This is the way he sounds. You can't hear it. He groans as he prays for us because he knows our hearts. He knows the mind of God. Since we don't know how to pray as we ought, our groan is replaced with his groan and his groan is too deep for words. It cannot be uttered. If someone tells you they're praying in the Spirit and it sounds like this, you can mark that one out right there. It's not some kind of ecstatic chatter. That's not the prayer of the Spirit with angelic language. No, no, no. That's something different. That's the mystical, magical part. Being led by the Spirit and praying in the Spirit is simply this. We have one who prays for us at the right hand of God, You're well represented by the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts who prays for us. We really are, we can't make a mistake. We can say, Lord, I don't know how to pray as I ought. This is what I'm praying. Please make it according to your will. And the Spirit of God takes your prayer. And according to Romans 8, 28, I'll finish with this. We know, we have confidence that God works all things to our good. For all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He works it for our good, for His glory, all because we enter in at the fountain gate. Let me ask you, have you gone into the fountain gate? You look like you have. (laughs) Have you gone in the fountain gate? Don't be afraid to get wet. Go through the fountain gate. Allow the Lord to fill you with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit on a continual basis. And when you get in the flesh, quickly acknowledge it, confess it, come back and ask the Lord, fill me again. One little girl said to God, she said, Oh God, fill me with yourself. I can't hold much, but I can overflow a whole lot. Be filled with the Spirit of God, shall we pray. Blessed Father, as we bow in your presence, we pray that you would indeed fill us with your spirit, that we might walk in the spirit. And that indeed, Lord, every facet of our life might be spirit filled. That we might not try to do it in ourselves or in our flesh. But only, as we said at the beginning, quoting from your prophet, Zechariah, Not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit, says the Lord. Lord, fill us, we pray, in the wonderful name we ask of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.